Thanks for downloading the South Everett Foursquare podcast. This is Pastor Chris Pepler, and you've joined us for our Advent series, The Women of Christmas. Together, we're exploring the vital role that women played in the coming of Christ. You can find us every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Village on Casino Road, or visit us on our website, southeverett.org. Enjoy today's podcast.
Welcome to South Everett Foursquare Church. This is a multi-generational family of Jesus followers, and that's what the Lord intended for his church. All people, boys and girls, men and women of all ages coming together to worship King Jesus. And today is my favorite service of the year because it's just the most representative of that. This is one family all together. And more than just a place for us to gather on a weekend, it's a family to belong to. And so that's my ongoing prayer for this family is that there would be deeper and deeper connections amongst us. And not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, we could call on one another when things are really good and things are really down. And life is just this funky concoction of all of that. But we weren't intended to do it by ourselves. Jesus came. Not just because he loved us, but because he knew we needed relationship. That's why he didn't just say, stay as some deity in the air or somewhere out there loving us from a distance. No, Jesus came. To be with us, God with us, Emmanuel.
thank everyone who participated this morning leading us in worship. And thank you to the King who made this possible, King Jesus. This is the fourth of five weeks in this series for those who haven't been with us. Foursquare, the Foursquare Church, is celebrating its 100th year as a denomination, which was started in 1923 by a woman named Amy Simple McPherson. So that congregation, which started in the back of her Oldsmobile in 1921, is now a denomination in 165 countries held together by 8.8 million people who are part of the Foursquare Gospel. To be a part of the Foursquare Gospel simply means that we believe that Jesus is our Savior, He's our healer, he's our baptizer, and he's our soon and coming king, which is the reason for Advent and the expectation, the celebration. And so I just thought since our movement was celebrating a hundred years as a movement started by a woman, it would be good for us to spend some time talking about the weight that women carried in the ministry of Jesus and the proclamation of the gospel, both before Jesus was born, once he was born, as the early church began to spread, and then even today. We spoke a few weeks ago about a biblical case for women in ministry that's on our podcast. We are operating under the belief as a movement that women are ordained in ministry and can be empowered in ministry the same as men. Joel, the prophet, was said that when the day of the Lord would come, his spirit would be poured out on all people, young and old, male and female, rich and poor, and all would be empowered with the Spirit, same as men, same as women, same as boys, same as girls. And so we've been looking at how the Lord specifically has used the lives of a few specific people, one being Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Last week we talked about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this week we're going to talk a little bit more about Mary because she continues in this short passage of Scripture to be a prominent character. But then also a woman, a widow named Anna who we don't often talk about, and so we'll spend some time talking about her life. The title for this message today is, She Carried Jesus. Beginning in Luke 2, verse 22, going through verse 40. It says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took the baby Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to sacrifice, to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom, custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon is like, all right, Lord, I've seen Jesus. I can die now. Everything in my life has been fulfilled. Imagine that. Imagine arriving at a moment where the fulfillment of your life had come, and you were so overfilled with joy that you're like, that's it, Lord. Take me home. It ain't going to get any better than this. That's this moment for Simeon. 
Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This word glory in the Greek is doxa, a radiant splendor of God's character. We hear about doxologies in the New Testament, these fireworks of praise that the apostles, when they're overcome by the Spirit, just sing out. And praise to God, and it's recorded in the letters that they wrote to the early church. They were filled with joy in the midst of their suffering, and they couldn't help but talk about the radiant character of God who sustained them. Verse 33, the child's father and mother, Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. That he would be salvation, that he would bring sight, that he would be a light and the glory. Imagine that being said about your kid. We all like it when people say nice things about our kids. But imagine, imagine the fullness and what they marveled about what would become of their son. Verse 34, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. So Jesus is going to come. He's going to ruffle some feathers. Some things are going to rise. Some things are going to fall because of him. And it's going to be costly for you, Mary, as you carry him, as you carry Jesus. It will pierce your own soul too. Verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then she was a widow until she was 84. Four years old. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, coming to Mary and Joseph as if they had not had enough from Simeon, she comes to them and says, She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So she speaks out, she cries out on behalf of the child in front of her parents. Verse 39. When Joseph And Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord. They returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Thanks be to God for his word. This is a story about a baby dedication. We have Joseph and Mary, Jesus, Simeon, and Anna. Let's remember who these people were. More than holy characters in the story, they were carpenters, they were teenagers, they were old men, and praying widows and female prophets. Let's not lose sight of who we've already learned about, the elderly priest and his barren wife, the leaping baby in the womb, the angel, and the politically corrupt narcissistic king. These are people we learn about in the story who take part in the coming of Jesus. You see, this Advent season, we haven't said much about the impoverished shepherds or the generous foreign dignitaries that came. That's for another day. But that was it. That, these are the people. This is the story. This is the cast of characters, a beautifully diverse cohort that comprised the young and the old. They comprised the rich and the poor. They comprised male and female, Jew and Gentile. The human and even the celestial beings. Everyone was involved. When God had in mind that the gospel of Jesus was for everybody, he was like, no, everybody, actually everyone. 
No one is excluded from the love of Jesus Christ. Close your eyes. Breathe deep. Exhale. And just think for a minute. Who in your worst moment might you desire to see excluded from the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You might know them. They might be a family member today. They might be a friend that you might be at odds with today. They could be a neighbor or a coworker, or they could be an anchor on some cable news media outlet or some voice you see in your Twitter feed or some face, some distant face that you see across the way. But in our hearts, in our flesh, we will always be working to exclude people from the hope of the gospel. And the Spirit of God is the one who comes as a reconciler to say, not so with them, they were made in my image. Lord, whoever it is that we have in mind right now, and God, we confess that we do. We're at odds with somebody. Help us remember that young and old, rich and poor, male and female, Jew and Gentile, human and celestial being, Lord, for everybody, the gospel is for everybody. And Lord, begin that healing work in our heart that we might love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. You see, Luke, the author of this text, is desiring to give an orderly account of all that came about. You can open your eyes if you want. All that had turned the world on its head, Luke was desiring to give an account about, and he gave a pretty good one. You see, Luke is highlighting in his introduction that the good news of Jesus is accomplished through all and for all. It's for everybody, and everyone was involved in the process of seeing it come to pass. It was an exclusively Jewish salvation at first, but it wouldn't be for long. That salvation would come to all people. It wasn't a replacement salvation. It wasn't the Jews have had their time, which many would believe today that Jews are excluded from the kingdom of God. That is not recorded accurately in our word. It says that there will be a remnant of Jerusalem, the Jewish people who will return. And as they prosper, as they see the light of Christ, so will the nations be elevated to see the light of Christ. So it's not a replacement salvation. It wasn't now for the Gentiles because the Jews messed it up. It remained for the Jews and the Gentiles. It says in Romans 11, 11 and 12, this is Paul, a Jew, speaking to Gentiles. And he says this, again I ask, did they, the Jews, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Like this people who were chosen by God, he's asking, have they fallen so far that they cannot be forgiven and redeemed? He says, not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, because they messed it up, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Oh, this is going to be for other people. Israel is having that moment where they're the four-year-old child and then they get a sibling. And they're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This isn't just about me? This isn't just about me? Israel was finding a way in their hearts. God was using difficult situations to help them see that, yes, the love of God would always be for them, but it would also be for everybody. And they would be included. It says, but if their transgressions meant riches for the world and their loss meant riches for the Gentiles, if the Gentiles benefited because of Israel's punishment, how much greater will the reward be for Gentiles when Israel is redeemed? The wrestling in the hearts of the Jewish people would have been, it would have been intense in that moment to hear, what? Our enemies, those who we fought in the desert, for generations, you're going to make a way for them too? 
This is the message of Christmas. Everybody's welcome. It's introduced at Christmas. It's completed on Good Friday and on Sunday when he's resurrected. And every year we're reminded. Why do you think we celebrate it? So Hallmark can sell more cards? No, I think not. We celebrate it twice a year so that we can remember when our hearts want to exclude people that there's no exclusion from the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus can be saved. Any condition, any position, any past, any life, any history, God can redeem it and welcome us in. And that's the most beautiful story there is. Amen. Luke goes on at great lengths to highlight Mary and Joseph's adherence to the law. That was important also. Luke makes four references to the law in the first six verses of this passage. We kept hearing about the law of Moses. Why was that important? It was because Jesus was Jewish. He was born Jewish. And so he had to be dedicated Jewish. He was familiar with the customs. Jesus would come as one to fulfill the law, not replace the law. So if he's born Jewish, he's going to come up Jewish. we got to do things according to the Jewish tradition. Because when he came as a missionary, he understood the cultural context that he was ministering into. He wasn't trying to replace anything. He was trying and was not just trying, was completely fulfilling it. If Jesus was to die for the Jews, he would be born like the Jews. The purification rites required by the law of Moses. What were those? Well, the mother of any child, according to Jewish tradition, would be ceremonially unclean for the first seven days after her birth. There were so many rules about what you had to do with your body to get close to God because God is holy. It's the greatest thing about Christmas is a holy God came in a manger, was born in the dirt with some animals, but didn't lose any of his holiness when he took on our humanity. He kept it all. And so for seven days, Mary could not see anybody. She couldn't touch anybody. Anyone that she came in contact with would run the risk of becoming ceremonially unclean as well, which was a big deal because, you know, my friend Eric wanted to be here this morning. He loves listening to the young people sing. And so he was texting me this morning saying, I'm on my way. I'm getting on the bus. I'm going to make the transfer. I'm going to make another transfer. I'm going to get here this morning. God bless you for coming through the cold and enduring so much to be with us here this morning. But if Eric had to worry about ceremonial uncleanliness, like if somebody came up and touched him, he might go into quarantine himself and say, don't, don't touch me. Because if you touch me and I get unclean, I can't actually come to hear the kids sing on Sunday. That's not a part of our understanding. I guess maybe COVID made it that way. Yeah. <laughs> More than it ever had been when we become ceremonially unclean and can't be a part of the gathering. But that's not how it works. But it was back then. Before we became the temple of the Holy Spirit, you had to keep your distance from the presence of God. And so for seven days, no one could touch her. It was a critical week for this mom 2,000 years ago. She would have had much higher risks of sickness or death because of the heavy blood loss that she would have experienced without the great medical care that we have today. She carried a lot of risk to carry Jesus. And she carried Jesus. She carried him. But it was risky for a young mother. See, we can gussy this story up all that we want. These spiritual overtones sometimes keep us from understanding the risk that was involved with this coming of Christ. The one who would engage us in our mess because we are messy people, but we're worth it. 
He just comes and he meets us exactly where we are. One thing I pray for our community around us is that those who feel far from God would feel close to him again. Because his people are demonstrating that we don't mind going out and getting messy with people. We don't mind just sitting down and listening to people share with us about whatever is going on in their life without being shocked or horrified to just say, yeah, I remember when I was in that place of brokenness and despair too. And so I'm going to show up to just be present with you. That's the gospel. Jesus got in our mess so that we could get in the mess of others. So he could get in their mess too. And we could be clean because of him. But not because of ceremonial law, because of the blood of Jesus. Here's the true beauty of this moment as I was, I hadn't seen this before, but it's true. She could not touch anything sacred in the temple leading up to the circumcision of her son Jesus on the, on the eighth day. She couldn't touch anything sacred, but she was giving birth to the living temple and could carry him into the brick and mortar temple. Isn't it amazing? She couldn't touch anything sacred, except here she is touching the baby. What becomes more sacred than this child? You see, the minds of everyone in Israel couldn't comprehend that this baby was more sacred than the brick and mortar. And those ceremonial laws said she couldn't touch anything in the temple. She could touch the living temple, the person of Jesus. Just think about that for a minute. So much was changing because of the birth of Jesus. Even more than a rite of passage, this circumcision uh, was instituted by God way back in Genesis. This idea of circumcision was introduced with Abram, who would become Abraham, as a sign to Israel that they had been marked as a chosen people. This was the circumcision, that you will be like me. Peter would later go on in the New Testament to add that the Hebrew people were and remain God's special treasure, even to this day. And in Genesis 17, 1 through 14, we see this practice beginning with all the firstborn Hebrew males. They would be circumcised on the eighth day following their birth. That makes a certain amount of sense to us, but not as much sense as it would have made and still makes in African and Middle Eastern contexts. These words about circumcision would have exploded off the page in meaning because circumcision meant that a person was full. They were ready to take on great responsibility, execute authority, and lead others. Jesus wasn't the first to be circumcised, but he was the first to lead a people, the Israel people, by becoming a suffering servant. He would lead them differently with the same authority so that the Jewish people would know that their Messiah, born in a stable, in a manger, was their Messiah. And so after the first seven days, 33 more days would go by before Mary's blood flow would have stopped, her uncleanliness would have passed away, and she could sacrifice at the temple. So the question is, what kind of sacrifice did they bring to the temple? We learned that it was some pigeons. The book of Leviticus says bring one pigeon, but they brought two. That's interesting. Let's go back to that text. Leviticus chapter 12. This is on the screen. Verses 6 through 8. It says, When the days of her purification of a son or daughter are over, she, the mother, is to bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meetings a year-old lamb for burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her. And then she will be ceremonially clean from her blood flow. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves 
or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. So there's this other picture of Jesus' parents. Just look at that for a minute. I'm going to send you this picture by email this week just so you can take some time looking at it because when you can see it even closer, the whole story comes to light. And I love this picture because this is Jesus being born to refugee parents on Casino Road, essentially. This looks like the gas station up the street from here. It says in the book of Leviticus that you were supposed to bring a lamb. But guess what? Lambs were expensive. Mary and Joseph were shopping at the food bank. And so there was a provision even in the law of Leviticus from thousands of years earlier that if you're broke, you can bring to the temple two pigeons instead of a pigeon and a lamb. They couldn't afford a year-old lamb. They couldn't afford one because the Lord entered the world through the obedience of socioeconomically overlooked and underestimated people. This is Christmas. What couldn't be discerned at the moment was the significance of the eight-day-old lamb they carried in their arms as they approached the priest in the temple. They couldn't touch anything sacred, <laughs> brick and mortar, but they could carry the living temple. They couldn't afford a lamb who was one year old, but they could carry a lamb that was eight days old. Everything was changing. People's perception about faith was erupting. It was disrupting to governments, into neighborhoods, into families, into nations. By the power of the Spirit, when we are reminded again of the unconditional for all love of Jesus at Christmas and Easter, we remember the same Holy Spirit that was disrupting understandings about the way things were in the Old Testament, in a first century Judaism, in a 2022 on Casino Road, same God, same Spirit disrupting our hearts. Would he disrupt us this Christmas again and remind us of how sacred it is? Mary couldn't touch anything sacred in the temple, yet she carried Jesus. Mary couldn't afford a sacrificial lamb, yet she carried Jesus. Simeon, the next player in our story, in the midst of this 400 years silence, that's what they were living into. 400 years since the prophet Malachi had said anything that was ordained by the Lord, it just got real, real quiet for 400 years. And then, and then Simeon, he lived out all the days that God gave him waiting, the scripture says. What was he waiting for? Well, it says that he was waiting for the deliverance of God's people foretold by the prophets, the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel. And then he waits at the temple. He's waiting for his people to be comforted. In Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sins have been paid for, that she has received from the Lord double for all of her sins, a voice calling one in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground should become level, the rugged places made plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Those words were 700 years old. And Simeon stood in the temple and he waited. And he remembered those words and he waited. 
Isaiah 51, 3, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all of her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden. Think about that for a minute. Her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Isaiah 57, 18. I have seen their ways, says the Lord, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners. You see, Simeon was an educated individual. He knew the word of God and he was waiting on this consolation his whole life. But they've been waiting 700 years since Isaiah prophesied these words that comfort would come in the midst of destruction. The deserts would become the Garden of Eden again. And he waited. Something else about Simeon besides the waiting, it says that the Holy Spirit was on him too. Holy Spirit's showing up left and right with people. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would see the Lord's Messiah before his deliverer died. He would see the Lord. He waited. And in the appointed time, he saw the child and he sang with a spirit-filled joy. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Everybody was included. You see, the evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit really is this, that we not only celebrate things that are good for us. I mean, like practically, this dude was waiting his whole life for a baby to show up. His whole life. And then the baby showed up. So praise the Lord. I can die now. I've seen the kid. It's what my whole life was for. I see him. I'm rejoicing for me, but not just for me. The evidence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that we celebrate not just for us, but for everyone who experiences the goodness of Jesus. When somebody else experiences grace that alleviates shame, we celebrate. And if we don't, we better check to see how alive the Spirit of God is in us. When we come across a family that's standing on the side of the road, and hasn't been in this country more than three or four months, and they're just trying to make it and eat and get the right papers to work and wait on rent month after month, they're welcome in the family, and they have something to offer it. Amen? Amen. We know that joy includes suffering. I wish it wasn't true, but doesn't it? Simeon declared the suffering that Mary herself would endure to be a part of the work that God was doing in the world. He says all these wonderful things, and then he just slips this in there too. He says to Mary, and the sword will pierce your own soul. As you carry him, she carried him. The sword will pierce your soul. See, it wasn't just men who were counted worthy to suffer for the name. There's plenty of accounts that men suffered for the name of Jesus. They rejoiced when they suffered for his name. But the women, they suffered. Lauren did a great job of communicating this last week, that Mary had already dealt with public scrutiny... How awkward it would be to just be pregnant and 12 and be like, yeah, right. She suffered scrutiny. She dodged the threat of divorce, which could have been a likely outcome given her circumstance. She traveled a great distance to have her child. She would soon be forced to flee the country for Egypt to save the life of her son. She would then be eyewitness to the public shaming and crucifixion of Jesus many years down the road. She carried him. She carried him. Anna, our last female minister of the gospel in the story of Jesus' birth, would carry Jesus also, just in a different way. 
Immediately upon the delivery of the news of Mary's suffering and the suffering that she would endure, Luke introduces us to Anna, the final woman in this story. Formerly, she went by Anna. Her name would have been Hannah, which harkens back to other Old Testament stories about birth. And her name means grace and mercy. We learn that she was a prophetess, which means she had ministry credentials in the nation of Israel, just like Miriam, who led the Israelites out of Egypt with Moses and Aaron, just like Deborah, who led the Israelite people as their one and only female judge, just like Hulda, who would walk alongside King Josiah, calling out the Lord's judgment against Israel regarding their disregard for the books of the law. See, God's been using ladies the whole time. But Anna was also familiar with heartache. She was married for seven years, as the text said, then she was widowed and stayed in the temple till she was 84 years old. She waited, and as she waited, she prayed, she fasted, and she worshiped. And she was old. The text tells us that she was old. And although she would not give birth like her elderly counterpart, Elizabeth, who we talked about a few weeks ago, she would not be left out of the work of planting seeds for the kingdom because she would deposit something important into the lives of Jesus, but also Jesus' parents. She carried Jesus. She carried the anticipation of his coming for her whole life at the temple. Her whole life she fasted and waited and prayed. You see, Simeon and Anna, their patience, their faith, and their steadfastness of these two would have been incredible confirmation of the Lord's work in the eyes of Mary and Joseph. Has the Lord ever asked you to do something that felt impossible? I feel like the Lord's asked me to do impossible things all the time right now, but he doesn't leave me doing it without encouragement from other people. The thing about dreaming, the thing about doing the thing that God has called you to do, is oftentimes we need a community of people around us to believe that it can happen before it happens. We need people to tell us it's going to work. As you trust in God, it will come to pass. And others believe it for us. They hold it for us until we can believe it. Because when people come to encourage us with words of knowledge and they say stuff to us about our circumstance that we should not know, how else are we to believe other than that God is in it? How else are we to believe? These words that were offered to Mary and Joseph scared trembling parents with a 40-day-old baby. The Lord was orchestrating every detail through the lives of faithful servants who put up with hardship and uncertainty so that salvation would come upon the earth. That's the beauty of Simeon and Anna. Their testimony highlights the value of hearing the voice of God for other people. That's the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, what's a word for me that I can give to someone before I leave the village today that would affirm and confirm the work that God is doing in them. You see, the Lord will give us words. We don't even have to understand what they mean sometimes. We just say, hey, I'm supposed to share this with you and test it. It's not a way to manipulate. We don't walk around saying, the Lord said to tell you that, I mean, it's just really manipulative. But to say, hey, I, I think I might have heard something from the Lord. Can I offer it to you for consideration? See, this isn't just Old Testament, New Testament stuff. This is today's stuff. This is today's stuff. They would need faith to escape to Egypt. They'd need faith to come back from Egypt. they need faith to, to let their 12-year-old son go minister in the synagogue. Like, that would be a thing. <laughs> Just leaving behind. Well, when you, God, it's about my father's business. 
mom and dad. It's about my father's business. They would need, they would need great faith to trust the process as Jesus ruffled feathers in Israel. It says in the Gospels that even Jesus' mom thought he was crazy for a while. You ever had a son or a daughter deal with mental health challenges? Mary carried that. Jesus didn't have a mental illness, but many people thought he did. I mean, for crying out loud, he was talking about being, being the Savior, the Messiah, God in the flesh. Mary carried these things. Anna carried these things for her whole life as they waited. They carried Jesus. They waited. And as we've been talking about each week, when we wait well, we worship well. We see Elizabeth, and we see Mary, and we see Anna, and we see all these people worshiping well, better than their ancestors did at the base of Mount Sinai, when they got bored and made a cow to worship because, like, God was taking too long. They waited. They waited. And they carried heavy things. Elizabeth and Mary and Anna would each experience seasons of long suffering for the sake of Christ, and they suffered with magnificent courage and humility, something that we can learn from. And so as we go into our small groups now for the next 10 or 15 minutes, if you're new with us, we kind of break up into groups and talk about what we're learning. So we grow as disciples of Jesus. And we just talk, and we put up a question, and we ponder this and anything else that you would want to talk about. But our question for today is this. Like Anna... If you could spend your life patiently contending for one thing on behalf of the kingdom, what would it be and why? What thing would you want to see come to pass before you take your last breath that you would carry the weight of and suffer for? Because it's that important to the heart of Jesus. So Lord, as we go into our groups... Lord, I just want to believe by faith in this moment that you're going to birth something. You've been like, I mean, the stories of conceiving, Lord. We conceive children, but we conceive dreams and visions and callings too. Lord, miraculously, would you put in some today a vision, a passion, a desire, a love for something, someone they would be worthy, consider worthy to suffer for and carry all their days to see it come to pass. Lord, would you stir up in us a deeper Conviction and desire for prayer, contending, waiting, fasting, praying to see what you would bring about. God, what is it the thing that we would wait patiently and through suffering our entire life to see come to pass for your kingdom? Birth it in us today in the midst of these conversations. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen.